They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling! This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you and powered by Spartacon, presented by the Red Serpents. Please visit redserpents.com for more information. It is August 15th and 16th live at the Blue Crabs Baseball Stadium in Waldorf, Maryland. Again, redserpents.com for more information. With that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. John, how are you? Hey, yo, I'm doing pretty, 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 pretty good. All right, and today our guest on this show is the king of old school, Steve Carino. Also, wait, want to just shoehorn in there, the best color commentator in the wrestling business today, Steve Carino. What are your thoughts and reflections on our talk with the great King of Old School? Carino was awesome. He was just great to talk to. As we were saying, actually, before we just went on air here, he was one of our favorite guests we ever had on. He, he's so enthusiastic, and you could tell how much he loves the wrestling business, and then obviously us being huge fans of his, it just goes hand-in-hand with just, you know, you're just going to get a great interview because we've got some great stuff for him, and he got some great answers for us. So it was just awesome to be able to talk to the king of old school himself, former ECW champ, Steve Carino. Totally, and we both had some funny recollections of Steve Carino run-ins in the past, and actually uh, this was recorded a few weeks prior uh, to the passing of Dusty Rhodes, and I'll just kind of bookmark that, but you spoke with him at the Ring of Honor show in Philadelphia the week before we uh, did this interview, and you guys shared a story together about uh, an indie shot that he did in 2002 wrestling Scott Steiner, and reliving that with him, you could tell when you talked to him in person how much he was digging that story, but tell us what were your uh, your thoughts in sharing that back with him. Oh, it was awesome. I was thinking, um, I was like, oh, hopefully he remembers it, because it's just a random indie spot. Uh, in New Jersey about 13 years ago, and I was thinking, I was like, man, I was like, hope he remembers it. So I saw him at the Ring of Honor show and I mentioned it to him, and he started laughing. He's like, oh, man, I got a great story for you. And, he, you know, he tells it also on the podcast as well, but it was great to uh, see him in person and, and relive that moment again and talk about how stiff Scott Steiner is, talk about Ox Baker that night. So just an awesome story, and it was actually the first time I saw Carino live after, you know, the ECW days and after he did a couple of uh, indie spots in New Jersey. So it was the first time I saw him live in 2002 in several years. And before then I was like, man, I don't know about this Carino. I don't know if I like him. And when I met him, you know, got his autograph that day. I was like, man, I was like, this guy is awesome. And then, you know, this Scott Steiner story was hilarious. And uh, I kind of share in his same sentiment because when I met Steiner that, that night as well, I was, 
I was scared uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's funny we talk about his personality, and he played such a you know wise ass, uh, you know, chicken, you know what heel, and uh, it was definitely it's definitely so cool to talk to a guy that just you know when he's turning it on when he's performing, and then when he can talk, he just is such a well-spoken, funny guy. But now I shared with him my recollection of him from an indie show in 1998, where I got a very early, very, very, very sarcastic Steve Carino uh, at an NWA New Jersey show at my high school as part of the uh, prom fundraising uh, endeavor that they were doing that year. And, uh, again, he remembered the show specifically. He remembered an injury he suffered. I mean, it's just it's, it's a guy who loves the business. And I'm going to transition into what I said earlier, and that is that this was recorded a few weeks prior to the passing of Dusty Rhodes, and we got to talk with him about his Dusty Rhodes feud in the clip, which I put out uh, via YouTube uh, prior to the release of this episode, where he details how he found out he was working with the dream is just uh, fantastic. And I remember watching that uh, the night, you know, it aired on ECW TV. And uh, it was just so shocking to have the dream come into ECW. I know that I was shocked, John. How about yourself? Yes, yes. Very, very shocked. But <clears throat> besides that, when I, when I think of uh, Carino and the King of Old School, we mentioned it before, um, I really do think of, him, you know, just being, as you said, a wise ass on the chicken shit heel, but also that he could have that other side where he's this tough guy, he's bleeding, he's having those, like, ballroom crawls, he's having those ECWS street fights, and that goes perfect with the feud against the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, where, you know, you can have a bunkhouse match, and, and Dusty's known for blading, or excuse me, uh, you know, getting color or whatever, he's um, bleeding a lot himself so it's almost like the blend of those two guys was perfect two completely different generations two completely different time periods but dusty and carino just they seem to mesh together so well really the embodiment of old school in dusty Rhodes and the quote-unquote king of old school in carino who was this new age you know smart ass heel you know basically the antithesis of dusty was just a perfect pairing of those two feuding it was shocking to see dusty and ecw and I actually went back and I watched, um, you know, just the dusty moments in ECW. And him and Carino just played off each other so well. Chemistry was great, and they had some great matches, too. Yeah, totally. And check out the uh, the Dusty Rhodes uh, DVD set from the WWE that was released, uh, gosh, just about, you know, eight years ago already. I know it's on the WWE Network, but they showcase one of the matches from uh, from that feud. And it's just it's such a great look back, uh, especially for... Uh, Carino to have that in his belt, so to speak. Uh, you know, I know when you're doing the indie shots, you face the legends, but this was such a big thing with Dusty coming off leaving WCW at that point. Uh, but, you know, we, as we've already said, you know, living in New Jersey and going to the indie shows, he was definitely a name that you got to see quite often, and it was always a treat. But your best thing that you wanted to bring to the table was his time in Ring of Honor. And I know uh, you go into great, great detail about his feud with Homicide, but uh, we also talk about the iconic entrance of Steve Carino in Ring of Honor. But the early days of ROH and and Steve Carino definitely go hand-in-hand, and uh, you got to really bring that to the surface. 
I mean, it's awesome now. I mean, he's one of the best commentators in the business, and he's in, still in our ways because he was there from the early days, and he's still there now. So it's still awesome to be able to see him on a weekly basis and hear him on a weekly basis. But when I was going to, you know, tens of hundreds of those ROH shows that it seemed like I was at, one of the best parts of the show was Steve Carino. It was just awesome. His entrances, the way the announcers would basically stall and name all his attributes, name all his world title. It was just, he was literally the perfect heel, and me and uh, my buddy Dirty Dave, our buddy Dirty Dave, he got it. I mean, we got such a kick out of it. It was just like, man, I was like, this guy knows how to play the crowd. Even a smart, quote-unquote, smart fans in ROH, he knew how to play them. He knew how to get heel heat. He was like the one true heel in ROH in those days, and that was ROH at its hottest. And he was the one true heel they had, and he was top dog for a while. And he was just unbelievable. He, he would do one funny thing after another, one awesome match after another, one awesome brawl after another. I mean, I can't speak uh, highly enough about his ROH run. He was awesome. And i kind of hoping and praying that maybe uh, we could see a few more Steve Carino matches in Ring of Honor. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it seems like it could be going that way, the way uh, things are right now. It would be awesome uh, to have him back and maybe one more of those uh, iconic entrances. But you talk about the feud with Homicide, and that is a very intense feud, maybe even forgotten from the early days of Ring of Honor, but pretty uh, pretty damn intense uh, in retrospect. And Carino definitely shares his thoughts on that. But uh, what stands out to you the most about that feud? The thing that really stands out to me is that being you know, a lifelong fan of almost 30 years, you think you could tell what's real and what's scripted or what's real and what's fake. And with that view, the best part of it was like the realness of it. It you just it was almost like, all right, that you know, it's, you know, the common cliche, oh, that's fake, but this view is real. That really had that vibe to it, where it was like, man, um, I know the match before it was, you know, it was fake, but. This seems like these two guys really hate each other, and this seems like a real feud. Being at um, Bitter Friends, Stiffer Enemies was unbelievable. Homicide Carino was one of the best matches I've ever seen live. I've been to a million shows, and that's quite a testament to that match. It was awesome, and Homicide slaps the living hell out of Carino. We're like, oh, my God, holy. And he literally busted his eardrum where he couldn't hear. So it's like, man, these two, you just feel it, the intensity. They hated each other. It was just awesome to see that and it was just so refreshing to get a taste of that in my pro wrestling again where you almost go back to harking the days as a kid and you, you think it's real that feud felt so real and so intense to me I, I loved it and maybe uh maybe somewhere that feud uh still exists because uh, i don't really know if they ever kind of patched uh things up and there could be some some existing heat uh, still between those two, but it was a great uh, memory that he shared about uh, specifically that match he just said. So there's not enough I can say about this episode. It is fantastic. Like you said, it's one of our favorites. But I digress. In prime time, before we close up with a little two-man power trip of wrestling business, we got to remind the folks, August 15th and 16th, in Waldorf, Maryland, at the Blue Crabs Baseball Stadium, it's going to be Spartacon. Oh, yes. Go to redserpents.com for more information. It's August 15th and 16th at the Blue Crab 
baseball stadium, all the Spartacon information you're going to need, redserpents.com, but primetime, what do you want to tell the people about Spartacon that they may not already know? The best part about Spartacon is the Spartacon Marketplace. You will see booth after booth of unique, creative, and handmade products from the vendors who are just as passionate as the fans attending. It's awesome if you get the chance to go to any of these shows, any of these Comic-Cons, especially Spartacon. you got to go to the merch table. you got to go to the vendor table. It, in my opinion, to be honest, is the best part of the show is just see what's over there and see what they have. You can buy some cool stuff, get some cool merch. I think that's the best part. Not only that, maybe meet some of the impressive guest list stars that they have from the show Spartacus. That's always an added bonus too, which is very cool. So in addition to all of that, for those traveling, there will be a special Spartacon discounted rate at the Hilton Hilton Garden Inn and Hampton Inn. And those hotels are in Waldorf, Maryland. For more information on all that, please go to redserpents.com. That's Spartacon, August 15th and 16th in Waldorf, Maryland at the Blue Crab Stadium. Again, please visit redserpents.com. Now if I can get into some TMPT of wrestling business, please subscribe to us on YouTube. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We love to hear your feedback. Also, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, at Wrestling Pound, at Two Man Power Trip. And also check out the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And in the upper left-hand corner, you will see a Bombas link. Yes, the greatest sock of all time with the additional kicker of every pair you buy, one gets donated to the homeless. So Bombas. Click on that link and do all your shopping with them through us. And just got this in from Bombas for a limited time only. Women's packs are in. You get 20% off women's multi-pack, including the Americano set. And that is, of course, in honor of the U.S. Women's World Cup win that just happened over Japan. Great win for the USA. And this could be a great win for you. So please go to Bombas, go to our website, Get 20% off women's multi-packs. Just use the code, all capital letters, Team USA. It's that simple. Capital letters, Team USA. Now, without any further ado, I send it to one of my favorites of all time, one of the best guests we ever had on the show, one of the great greatest wrestlers in the history of the business, the former ECW World Heavyweight Champion, current Ring of Honor commentator, and the best one in the business. Folks, I send along to the king of old school, Steve Carino. Please enjoy. And joining us on the line tonight is the man who is currently the color commentator and in our humble opinion, the best one in the business right now for Ring of Honor Wrestling. He is undoubtedly known as the king of old school and is a former ECW world champion. He is often outspoken and never at a loss for words. He is the pride of Sea Isle City, New Jersey. He is Steve Carino, and thank you for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Oh, well, thank you. It's you know, a pleasure to be on. I was at a loss for words there for a second. <laughs> oh, come on. That just killed my intro there. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, we actually, uh, so, you know, when we write up the intros uh, beforehand, uh, we had a couple, uh, you know, that little stack of papers in the corner. You know, you, you write it out, you rip it up. John and I had come up with a long laundry list of uh, things to say about you and do the old Ring of Honor entrance. But we decided for the sake of time, we're going to let that one go. Right, you know, and plus you would have to have Bobby Cruz on to say it because you need that, you need, you need that Boston accent to put it home. <laughs> that was definitely, that's one of our favorite, uh, favorite things. We always joke about that very regularly. But, so John uh, actually uh, grabbed you at the end of uh, one of the Ring of Honor shows in Philly last week and, you know, talked to you before you came on and uh, mentioned that we actually had a couple funny interactions with you that we wanted to talk about. But before we get to those, what are your thoughts on the big Ring of Honor, New Japan shows, the Global Wars? Looking back, it was a really exciting week. And how do, from your point of view, like, what do you think of how much this has taken to the, uh, you know, to the United States, to Canada, and, and the outpouring of uh, fan support? It, it was amazing. And, you know, that was the first four-day, uh, a four-show, five-day loop for Ring of Honor. And I was wondering how everybody would also – you know, stack up, you know, you're, you're giving it your all on Tuesday and giving your all on Wednesday and a travel day Thursday. And then thinking like, okay, these guys are going to break down by Friday and Saturday. And it just seemed like everybody got stronger as the week progressed. And and I think it has to do a lot with the, the reaction of the fans. You know, I've always been a big believer that the, the fans can make you invincible. You know, a, a great crowd will just pump you up to where you're not feeling the pain or you're, you're tired from the travel. It's going to, you know, get you over the hump and stuff like that. And the, the outpouring of support that Ring of Honor fans in, in Philadelphia and Toronto, and I'm just generalizing Philadelphia and Toronto because I know people came from all over to watch these shows, but uh, it, was, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And it, it, it definitely made the tour, and it showed that New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, combined with Ring of Honor is is a true alternative to fans that are only programmed to watch either the WWE or TNA or you know or their one brand. It really opens your eyes to like wow, there's so many different styles out there and so many different personalities that you know it it shows that pro wrestling today, whether we call it sports entertainment or what, professional wrestling is I believe as strong as it's ever been. You know, and it's funny because uh, obviously uh, uh, a lot of American fans have been clamoring for uh, the Japanese stars to come over on a big scale like this for years. And uh, do you think that this is the right time for the, you know, them to really be getting onto that North American landscape rather than just seeing one random guy here or one random guy there? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely think you're right there. And I also believe it's, you know, who's writing the story also. It's you know, Hunter Johnston and the ROH office, you know, they didn't want to change anything, you know, of the formula of New Japan. They wanted to present Tanahashi and Nakamura and Okada and Gato and, and Kushida and, and Naito in the same light that they are portrayed upon in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Whereas sometimes, you know, the, whether it was Ben Tajiri or Yoshitatsu or so many different Japanese wrestlers that have gone to the WWE and, and the mainstream that they get changed into what the machine wants them to be. And it's not that it's a bad thing, but I think fans want to see what, what's the big hype? What, what makes Tanahashi Tanahashi? What makes Nakamura this enigma that he is? And Ring of Honor uh, allowed them to do that. And, and in turn, New Japan let Ring of Honor wrestlers be Ring of Honor wrestlers. And 
you know, there's that little worry behind in, in the back of my head was, are our guys going to step up and bring the fight to them? And we all know how wrestling works, but still, there's there's a there, there's going to be guys that'll be like, well, they're they're huge New Japan stars, so I'll wrestle their match, or you know, and it, it was such a great collaboration of ROH style, New Japan style, and every person stepped up. You know, there there wasn't anybody that like I pulled aside and said, hey man, you know. You got to wrestle your match. You know, they're going to wrestle theirs. You got to wrestle yours. You know, uh, everybody stepped up. Uh, you know, the, my favorite one I think that stepped up, and I was so worried about him, was Roderick Strong on Wednesday night when when he got busted open by Tanahashi and the commission doctor who I had known is looking at me like I was the guy calling the shots. He's telling me, you know, you got to cut it soon, and uh, you know, I, I was scared for him, but it just seemed to like bring even more out in Roderick Strong and. It's just, you know, in Toronto, if you haven't seen it yet, the 10-man the ROH All-Stars for a full club was, it was crazy. It was it was the crazy train wreck that veterans 25 years in the business hate, but it's the style now that people enjoy and it's exciting. And, you know, I, I think fans really, really got a great taste of what New Japan Pro Wrestling combined with ROH can bring them. Now, if you could uh, pick one, out of the four days, what was your favorite match that you actually got to sit there and call? Oh man, that's that's tough. I, you know what? Any Nakamura match was was amazing. Um, Adam Cole versus AJ Styles. You know the return of Adam Cole after five and a half months. That that one was such a fun one to call. Anything with the Young Bucks, I love calling because uh, I I lose my mind. Uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it's so hard to pick one uh, one one good one. I, I'll tell you two that I hated calling was uh, uh, on Saturday, Moose versus my son, Colby Carino. And then <laughs> later on, Adam Page and Colby Carino versus War Machine. Those those two were a little tough to, to uh, call. <laughs> talk, about, talk about stiff. Those guys are stiff. <clears throat> now, uh, I was at the show Wednesday. I got the chance to meet you afterwards, which was awesome. You gave me a picture. Really cool. I mean, you were so nice. And I reminded you of a story... Um, in 2002, I was at Medieval Times, me and my brother. At this point, we're like, oh, there's Steve Carino from ECW. And then we met you, and I was like, man, he's like the nicest guy in the world. So then we really <laughs> felt bad when we found out you had to wrestle Scott Steiner that night. Can you just uh, tell us that story again? Because it was so funny, and it's so awesome. And, and what people don't realize is, like, Scott really never worked indie shows after WCW and stuff like that. So... He gets booked on this independent show from a, and, and the promoter. It was a was it Gorophobia? What is it when you can't come out of your house? Gorophobia. Okay. Yeah. I think it was Gorophobia. Yeah, he had Gorophobia, <laughs> so he like sends somebody to book the show for him. Like it was bizarre going in, and then it was at like a medieval times place, and uh, you know Scott has just signed with the WWE, and I'm thinking, oh great, he's not going to show up or anything like that. And I get there, and Ox Baker, the, the late, great Ox Baker, looks at me and goes, Hey, kid, I'm going to manage you tonight. He goes, Don't be walking real fast to the ring, because, you know, I really got only one good leg, and that's not even really good itself. <laughs> I say, All right, sir, you know. Um, and I'm like, This is going to be something. So we get to, we get to talk to Scott, and Scott's an intense guy. But he, he looks at you with the crazy eyes, and, you know, I'm already peeing my pants. The first thing he says to me, Hey, start on SmackDown on Tuesday. Don't hurt me. And I, like, looked around the room. I'm thinking, who who are you talking to? 
Like, that's what I have to say to you. Like, I've seen you drop guys on your head for 15 years. And, yeah, don't hurt me. I'm starting on SmackDown. And then Ox, who has no filter or had no filter, just kept going. Hey, why don't you get into the gym? Like, hey, let me tell you something. Like, yeah, yeah, it just kept going. I'm thinking, yep, that signer will kill me tonight. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Like, and it, one of the, my favorite parts of that match, and I, I, it's a very forgettable match, and I don't think it's on YouTube or anything like that. But he tells me in the back that he wants to do something to where I, uh, he charges me. I boot him, and then I get on the second rope, and I give him a second rope drop kick. I'm not going to tell Scott Steiner no, but I'm also not going to tell him that I have never, even when it was a junior heavyweight, attempted this before. <laughs> I did it. I hit him right in the face, and my first reaction was, yeah, I could drop kick from the second row. Then I thought, yeah, Scott Steiner's going to kill me. Yeah, but it, it was it was good. He was, he was, he was so much fun, and uh, even now, like, uh, it, it's been a couple of years. Me and C.W. Anderson have worked with Steiners before, and it's it's a blast because the, the first thing Scott says, hey, you guys better be uh, really light in there, man. I'm thinking, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, you haven't watched me work. <laughs> yeah, Scott, he definitely has a reputation as being a little little nuts and, of course, a little oh. stiff as well. But I love that story, and to be there was awesome. I get to meet Scotty, who was nuts. You know, he asked him the wrong question, and even as a fan, he get nervous. And then, obviously, meeting you was awesome that night. Yeah, yeah, he's. He's a crazy nuts, but fun. Yeah, he's uh, he's always been good to me. So, but he's uh, he's one of my favorite guys to watch on YouTube, especially his promos. Oh yeah, definitely. Now moving back to your Ring of Honor career. Now, when you first started with Ring of Honor, and and as you're going through, one huge feud that uh, really really sticks out to me. It's probably my favorite. ROH feud was you versus Homicide. I got to know, was there real heat between you? Because that, that feud seemed real to me. Hey, there definitely was. And it, it's one of those things, like, no one can put their, their finger on it. Like, there was just incidents over the, the years that we just didn't like each other. But somehow we had this chemistry, and it just it just seemed to work out great. And, you know, some of the best matches of my life. But, you know, it's also a real, real competition. So, yeah, but, like, I'm very proud of every every match that I had. But, you know, we we, we still aren't buddies. Now, is there a specific reason that you guys had heat? Or, like, was there some... Yeah, definitely two personalities that didn't click. And, you know, and years go by, uh, you know, he he had taken out my ear. You know, I, you know, he had landed wrong on his shoulder, which he blamed me. You know, they're, they're just... There's always stuff that nitpicked along the, along the way and... Uh, you know, all these years later, you know, there's no resolution. We're, you know, we're just two guys doing the best we can to professional wrestling. Like, I, I respect everything that he's done in wrestling. He's, you know, just we're just two different personalities. But if you think about it, you would think that he would maybe pump it up that he doesn't like you, but you would think that he would really like you because you kind of put him over. I mean, you kind of put him on the map with that feud. You would think so, right? Yeah. I never got a thank you. Or, and I'm sorry about your ear. Yeah, and it's it's all right. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, I think you were getting him booked in Japan as well. Uh, yeah, but that that was always business. You know, it was one of those things that, you know, I had worked in the office for eight years in, in Japan, and they would tell me what foreigners they would want. And, you know, I think there were three or four times that he had come over, and, 
you know, dealing with him um, regarding Japan and stuff like that was always very, uh, you know, because it was very cut and dry. This is what the offer is. Where do you want to fly from? This, this is what you're, we're doing. So, you know, once that happened, you know, it was fine. But every tour, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't much talking going on. There wasn't much partying. There is a couple of pictures out where, you know, because we had mutual fa- friends, you know, Brian Kendrick and, and Loki and stuff like that. And, you know, so we would be out at a, at a restaurant or something like that, and people would take our picture. And you could just tell, like, we're on different sides of the uh, – the picture and stuff like that. Not that it was uncomfortable. It's just now speaking of your eardrum. I was at the show. It was probably the best match that I've been to ROH, and that's saying a lot because I've been to a million ROH shows, and they always put on the best shows. But for some reason, that match just really sticks out to me as one of my absolute favorites. Bitter friends, stiffer enemies. He slaps the hell out of you. Not sure why you didn't. You guys weren't the main event. I guess we'd have to ask Gabe that question. But what are your recollections of that awesome match? Um, you know, it, it was one of those things that, you know, it was an undercard match. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't the main event. The main event that night was Loki and Danny Moff, which ended up being a disaster because Danny Moff got knocked out in the first two minutes, which, you know, I think, I think really helped, you know, the, the, the history of, uh, being homicide, but, you know, just going in there, I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. He didn't know what to expect. We had wrestled a couple times before and, you know what? There, there was just something in the air that night, and we you know, we pressed a little harder, got a little stiffer. Um, he had poked me in the eyes, like right below the eyes, and blacked both my eyes. Uh, you know, he, he had had a cut on his ear later on. Um, if I if I remember right, when I piled drove him through the table, part of the table had cut his ear, and uh, you know, it was just one of those things that you know that was, I was 2003. I remember it was Connecticut, so driving home. And I was laying down in my house, and, and my son Colby at the time was, you know, seven years old. And he just looked at me and goes, how's homicide look? I go, probably just as bad. You know, like, I, I was just, <laughs> I was beat. I was just laying on the floor. You know, my my body was mess. I couldn't hear. You know, my eyes were black. And, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a true battle. It, it was It was crazy. It's one of the best live matches that I've ever seen. If anybody out there hasn't seen it, Bitter friends, stiffer enemies, ROH. Me and my friend after the show, it's funny, we're driving home as well, and we're thinking, you know, this, this is a pretty, you know, far ride back to New Jersey, but, you know, that was a hell of a card, awesome. Carino and Homicide stole the show. We're like, I wonder why that wasn't the main event. You know, keep, keep thinking about it going back, but uh, probably should have been. Well, yeah, I, and you know what? I don't think anybody expected Danny Moss to get knocked out in the first two minutes of that match with Loki. They had been, they had been building to Loki, Moff, and, uh, yeah, it just, it went, ugh. Now, a great thing about your ROH run at that time was so funny. The old school tactics, the almost like Larry Zbysko-esque um, stalling, and it was just anything to get the crowd to hate you. You had awesome entrance music. You had the best entrance of anybody. And then, of course, Bobby Cruz would do your awesome announcing, and one of the awesome ones was um, you'd wait in the ring for a few minutes, and it was you literally named every title belt you ever had. And by the end of it, the crowd was ready to kill you. Was that all you coming up with that awesome, like awesome heel tactic idea? It was. It was me and Guillotine Legrand. Um, you know, when ROH started, Christopher Daniels was the guy that was supposed to be, you know, the top heel. They wanted every fan to hate him, but the problem with Christopher Daniels is he's so good that you can't hate him. No matter what he does, whatever. No matter what he says, eventually you're like, 
man, he's Christopher Daniels. You, know, you can't hate this guy. Uh, where and then that's when Gabe said, "What do you have an idea for?" And I said, "I have an idea." Where I was, I was watching. It was late at night, and I don't know why, but I, I switched on like ESPN Class. All the his whole entourage, and he even had like, um, you know, it just it was so pompous and everything like that. And I thought, you know what? What if I brought my own ring announcer and did my own ringer introduction, and I had my young boys throw streamers in the ring just for me and and then get them right out. I thought, if people will hate this. And I started with, um, the first list was in uh, Connecticut with Homicide, and people liked it. I'm like, uh And then I had wrestled like Josh Daniels. We did a list. And then, of course, the famous one was with CM Punk. Um, and then finally, like, me and me and LeGrand said, man, we got to do something. This, this isn't working. And he goes, let's list every title that you held and slowly do it. If they don't do this, we're quitting. Like that that was our mindset. Like if we couldn't be the heels that we were supposed to be, we were gonna quit. We weren't just gonna like fall into place. We were gonna quit. And yeah, Elizabeth, New Jersey, we started and once the booze happened I looked at Samoa Joe, I said, There it is <laughs> you know, so it it finally worked out good. It's so funny because the ROH crowd sometimes like they'll cheer the heels or they'll boo the faces. It like doesn't make sense. But you were like the perfect heel where like you're supposed to be the heel and you're gonna get booed. And and it's so funny. Um, I remember one. I believe it was at the old Rex play. Um, basically, you were like, and people that um, Steve Carino has drank with, and the crowd, as you know, they're you know they're talking about James Fullington, you know, talking about Sandman. And, and all these people, and they're going nuts. I mean, they're so bad at the end of it. It was great. Yeah, and, and that was the point. You know, it, I, I think right at that time, ROH needed a bad guy. Like, because everybody was popular, you could find, like, a redeeming quality in everybody because everybody is so talented. And everybody, like, wanted to, to showcase their talent in, in Ring of Honor at that time that, you know, they weren't thinking, okay, what do I do to get people to hate me? So I backed up stuff. You know, I said, you know what? I'll back it up. I'll, I'll be that Sabisco guy that won't do a certain thing here or a certain thing there. And yeah, it does, did it hurt? Did it hurt the star rating if you're watching it from bell to bell? Of course it did. But did it work in terms of heat and drawing money? Uh, if you throw the intro and the reasons why, of course it did. You know, and it allowed guys like Samoa Joe or um, Dragon or Loki or these guys that uh, that I was wrestling Homicide. It allowed them to shine, and, let, and, you know, I was the one that, you know, was just helping them get along, you know, and, and, and at the same time getting all the heat for myself. Yeah, it, it was so perfect, and um, after the shows, I would say, man, he was, like, the only one that, like, was getting, like, legit heel heat, where they like, really just, you know, didn't like you, but it was great, and one that you briefly mentioned, which was so funny, you came out dressed as punk. The crowd was booing you like crazy, and then you were calling him Philip Brookstein. Because <laughs> he didn't want me to call him by his real name. He said, "Do whatever you want." He sent me the shorts. Like, if um, if people look at that that time that I did that, he actually loved the idea and sent me the, the shorts. And me and Cabana came up with uh, you know doing all the the fake tattoos and and everything like that. And he said, "All I'm asking you to do is not." say my real name. So I came up with, uh, um, you know, uh, Brookstein. And uh, and then, like, my I think my favorite line was there was, let's have a five-bell salute for CM Punk because we know Vince owns the rights to the ten-bell. 
I was like, that was the heat line. And, uh, you know, that was, that was, that was, the, you know, the match was made right after that. You know, people, people remember the, the entrance and me dressing up like punk more than they remember that. And it, like going back, it was a, it was a really good match between me, Cabana and, and Key and Homicide. Yeah, definitely. Great match. And, uh, definitely for, uh, Further the feud at that point with uh, Homicide Cabana, but also on the sidebar, furthering obviously your feud with Homicide. Do you have a favorite match that you and Homicide had? Because obviously the Bitter Friends, Different Enemies is awesome. But then you guys had a barbed wire match, and then you had the the match where you get your head shaved. So do you have a favorite match that you guys had together? I would I would say the Bitter uh, Bitter Friends, Different Enemies, because that, that really set the age for the rest of the feud, and it, it really showed like you know that the creative brutality of it, you know, really, it, it, it was Terry Funk, Dusty Rhodes in 2003. You know, it, it was, it was something, it was a throwback to a time where two guys got in there and they fought. It, it was, it was a fight and it's nonstop. If you watch it now, it's still, it's nonstop through the whole thing. You know, there's no rest spots. There's no, it's literally back and forth and going at it. And I, I thought the finish was perfect. And it, I, I thought, besides me getting my ear uh, destroyed, I thought it, it was the, the best match that I could have done with him. And, you know, it, it, it set the stage for a three-year feud. And, you know, um, a lot of people crap on the, the last one that we did with the, where I got my head shaved. There were a lot of things going on that night. And, you know, one day, well, you know, there, there was talk of me and him sitting down with ROH once and, like, reliving the feud and giving all our, uh, you know, what was going on backstage, the politics, the strings being pulled. But, I, you know, I don't know where it went. But uh, it, it would have been fun because, uh, you know, that night it, it, there was bad stuff going on. And when I brought up the idea of uh, shaving my head, you know, that um, Gabe went crazy for it. He loved it. And, you know, he sent me a message, like, the next day saying that was the greatest thing you know, ever, and, you know, no matter what people say, you know, thank you so much for doing that. And then, like, when the the Internet started hating it because they didn't understand it, plus there was the Cornette-Conan connection in there that kind of killed some heat, like, Gabe never stood up for me and said, like, hey, man, that guy came to me and said, I'm giving you my hair because it's the end of the feud and I respect what we've done, you know. I'd never been bald before. Like, I I don't know if you saw the pictures. I am not a good bald guy. So, uh, yeah, I, I had to show up at my buddy's wedding the next week, and he's like, what the hell did you just do? I said, I don't know, man. It, it looks really bad. And, uh, really- but, you know, I, I did that for the and I did that for the fans, and I, I, was, I was, you know, not that I ever, like, hold anything against fans, but I really thought, like, man, you guys, you might have outthought yourselves here, and you didn't see the, the importance of, you know, like almost like a Mexican standoff where at the end of the feud, you know, somebody gets their head shaved or they lose their mask. And, but, uh, you know, I don't regret it at all. It was, it was, it was a brutal match. It was, we were going crazy. Um, there was something wrong with one of the tables and, you know, eventually the, the finish was supposed to be the cop killer through the table. And I don't know if he couldn't get his balance or anything like that, but we ended up not doing it. And, um, but it, you know, it was just kind of a bizarre night. It was a bizarre night watching the whole show. As you can tell, my son didn't like it either because he's crying. <laughs> well, speaking of your son crying, I'm going to turn this over to me crying. And it's so that I definitely I wanted to mention uh, as we went on. April 4th, 
1998, okay? It was an <laughs> NWA New Jersey card in my hometown of Middletown, New Jersey, at my high school, no less, Middletown South High School, Steve Carino versus uh, Devin Storm for the NWA Light Heavyweight title. And it was a promo that you cut before that match that literally came to my attention the day we booked you for this interview. And if you, if you don't mind, I'm going to quote you that by the end yes, of the night. Yes, please do, because I only remember um, Devin had broken my nose in that match. Like, okay. I, I definitely remember the match because Devin had broken my nose. And knowing De- if you know Devin, he's the nicest guy. And he just kept, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I'm like, I got, and then he was in uh, physical therapy school at the time. He goes, I'll fix it in the locker room. It's, a, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. But no, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, no, no, no problem. You, you said at the end of the promo, cause, and keep in mind, this is not me holding this in since 1998. It literally popped up on Facebook from somebody I know the same day we booked you for the interview. And it said, tell your grandchildren about tonight. And you pointed at me and, uh, and the guy I was sitting with, and you said, and in your case, your boyfriend. And then <laughs> everybody, it was a huge, it was literally the last line. Everybody popped. Very funny. Devin Storm comes out. You go right to the outside, and I don't know what—I forget what you said—but you came out and you pointed at us again. And it was a, another guy sitting next to us that you, you kind of took a liking to as well. And it was just—it was very funny. But what are your memories of that era of independent wrestling uh, during the quote-unquote boom of the late '90s? Because I remember that show was unbelievably hot. Oh, it was. You know what? Like, Dennis Carluzzo got, like, a lot of flack for, you know, being shady and shifty and stuff like that. And all stuff that was, is true. Um, all stuff that was true, but he was always good to me. And he always put on these these great quality shows. And he gave guys like me and Ace Darling and Devin Storm and Mike Keener and, you know, Simon Diamond, uh, like, an avenue to you know, get better and get to the, you know, the next level. I, I remember going to Dennis uh, as soon as I was leaving to go to ECW, knowing, like, how much he hated ECW. And, I like, I sat down with him. I'm like, hey, boss, this is what I'm doing. And he gave me the biggest hug. He's like, you're going to do great, bro. You're this And it's the only night that he ever shorted me on my pack. Uh, <laughs> and, like, he told the locker room that he was going to do it, you know. So, I mean, that was the fun part of Dennis. But, if there was never any like Dennis Carluzzo or Tommy Fierro or Jim Kentner and stuff like that, you know, I, I would have fallen the ways of you know a lot of indie guys that that are good that that aren't given the you know the exposure that those guys gave to to guys like me and Ace and Devin. Yeah, you could tell even in 1998, and this is not just me blowing smoke. This is legit. I mean, you were the best heel on the show, and, uh, you know, as an impressionable 17-, 18-year-old, however old I was during that show, uh, it was definitely, it was, it was well done. But how about that crew from that era of the, those New Jersey independents? I mean, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of gone the way of a lot of those guys have gone on to having decent careers. Um, some left the business maybe a little early, but uh, what are some of your memories of the crew itself? Oh, yeah. The crew was always great because everybody was pushing everybody, and I think everybody had the same goal in mind was to, you know, eventually, uh, you know, guys wanted to go to WCW and guys wanted to go to ECW and guys wanted to go to WWF. And, 
it, it was a way, instead of everybody being jealous or anything like that, maybe like how the generation before us was, it was we were all pushing each other and trying to have the best matches possible. And um, you had all these different personalities in the locker room in different ages, and we were, we were all there. And, like, guys knew their spots. Like, perfect example was Rick Ratchet. Rick Ratchet was not the best wrestler at all. But, man, he could go out there and entertain, and he knew his spots. Like, he knew what he could do to get over. And he knew what he had to do with a guy like Devin to, to make sure that Devin didn't have to wrestle down or Ace didn't have to wrestle down or anything like that. And, uh, and then you have guys like Harley Lewis and, and Derek Domino, who people thought were, like, crazy and unprofessional and stuff like that. But they went in there every weekend and, you know, made – me and Simon or Ace and Devin looked like millions of dollars. You know, they, they made us look like stars when, you know, we were still, you know, just, you know, feeling our oats at the time. It, it was, it was, it was definitely fond memories. And, and at the same time, you know, I was, you know, I would work like two weekends a month in, in New Jersey and then travel to North Carolina. And, you know, then it was, you know, the Hardy boys and the Omega crew and stuff like that. It, it was just such a great time to learn. And, and, you know, it's fond memories, just fond, fond memories. Yes, Rick Ratchet was on the card that night, as well as uh, Sid Vicious, and he, and he was there. Uh, I do have the pictures to prove that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that the Headbangers. Beat, uh, Sid, right? No, this one was, ag- no, that was, um, I think that was actually, and I'm, I can't believe I'm going to remember this. I think that was actually in Hazlitt, New Jersey. This I, was, I think you're right. That was the craziest thing. I, I watched it. I saw it. I saw it unfold. It, it took me years to believe that that actually happened. Yeah, that was, I, that must have been, if it wasn't like the last, you know, I guess uh, run in there for Sid with NWA New Jersey, it was literally just before this. But the advertised match was Sid versus King Kong Bundy. We didn't get that that night. We We got Sid versus Tom Brandy. But we also got an odd occurrence with the Headbangers and Terry Runnels uh, appearing on the card, I guess, as part of a uh, WWF uh, crew that was uh, traveling indies. Do you remember exactly what was going on, why the WWF guys were there at the time? Well, at the time, and right, this is right before they just took over, like, the ratings and everything like that. From about 96 to early 98, um, no, I'm sorry, maybe 95, yeah, 95. So, like, early 98, WWF was allowing their guys to do third-party bookings through the office. And, yeah, guys would, you know, because they were only running maybe one, sometimes two shows a night. So, to get these guys extra work, because at the time there wasn't the guaranteed contracts, you know, like there are now. You know, if there's no show, you still get paid. You know, back then, you you, you needed as many shows as possible to, to, to make that money. So, they would third-party book these guys, and, you know, Dennis was running the most shows, and, you know, the, the headbangers were New Jersey guys, and, you know, and T- Terry Ronalds was always super nice. Uh, you know, she always drew a good crowd and stuff like that. So there, there was a lot of times that uh, they used uh, – Dennis used those guys. Yeah, and also uh, Doug Gilbert randomly on that show. I don't remember <laughs> that at all. I had to see that <laughs> to believe it. Doug Gilbert, like, if you watch his YouTube stuff, you would think he's the craziest guy in the whole world. I want to say, like, from crazy people to normal, uh, transferring to, like, the normal world, Doug Gilbert is the, like, 
poster boy for it. He is the most normal person I've ever met. Like, you know, it's, and I, I've known Doug for 20 years and, uh, you know, his brother was my hero, but you have a conversation with Doug Gilbert in 2015 and you don't think you're talking to the same guy that called Jerry Lawler a rapist on TV. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, that's a, uh, an infamous moment, uh, and we're glad that you didn't, that's not the same guy. But let's talk about your transition over into uh, ECW. And uh, how did that all come about? And um, at that point, it was, you know, a solid, solid place to go to work. So uh, how was your transition into ECW? It was, it was by whim, I guess. Uh, guys had left after November to remember 98. And, um, you know, Paul wanted to bring some indie guys in. I'm sure, you know, it was economical, more economical, plus he – you know, he could develop. You know, Paul's so good at developing talent. And the the guy that, you know, he had in mind was Reckless Youth. You know, that was Reckless Youth was the big star, uh, indie star at the time. And he had all the hype. So, But Nova was the one that said, you know, give Carino a chance. Like, he's got this, you know, um, he's got this anti-hardcore thing that he's doing on the indies. It's really good, you know. Uh, he's real humble. I, th- I think you guys will like him, blah, blah, blah. And it, it, it worked out perfectly. You know, I went there. I... Uh, try it out. I worked out before the show and, you know, I worked Nova, which I had done, you know, dozens of times on the Indies and, you know, I come back and Paul's like, you have a job here. I said, oh, okay, cool. Like, never in a million years did I think that I would end up in ECW. And, um, yeah, it just went from there. You know, he said, how do you, how do you see yourself? And I, I took a chance. I said, this is this is what you know Steve Carino the character is, and this is what I've been doing. And he goes, I love it. And the way I sold it to him was that in the past Shane Douglas and Mick Foley had tried to do the anti-hardcore gimmick, but they were already established guys. Here I was, you know, no, a no one from off the streets to ECW fans saying that I wasn't going to do hardcore. I thought it was it was the easiest way to get heat with the idea of eventually there'll be that guy that makes me uh, go to the dark side and do the, the hardcore stuff. Never in a million years did any of anybody. Like, if Paul tells you that he, he envisioned this when he hired me, <laughs> it would be a lie. No one imagined it would be Dusty Woods. So <laughs> it's just, you know, the, the stars aligned and it went perfect. You know, it, it was perfect. Actually, I wanted to mention that. How was that view with Dusty Rhodes? I mean, he's probably, because I know you were a huge fan growing up, he was probably one of the guys that you loved growing up. What's it like being able to wrestle him and then having, like, an awesome bull rope match with him? It was, you know what, it was, it was surreal because, um, you know, we always used to joke with Dreamer because Dreamer will, you know, talk about himself in the third person as the dream and stuff like that. So, you know, I didn't I didn't even know Dusty was in the building that night. when they, And he goes, oh, you're working with the dream. I go, all right, cool, man. What are we doing? You know, like I, I'm just thinking. Uh, you know, it, it's it's I'm wrestling Tommy Dreamer. He goes, no, man, you're doing something with the Dream. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And um, yeah, I, the first thing we met, and I, I said, sir, would you? You know, we got this promo, blah blah blah. What would you like to? He goes, kid, if you're as good as they say you are, and we don't need to talk about anything. We just do it. I said, oh, okay, and. um, and the original plan was that he was just going to give me one big elbow. I would, you know, I would bump for him and roll out and we'd be done. You know, that it was a one-time thing. We weren't even going to use it for TV because we didn't know if, like, you know, he had just gotten released earlier that week from WCW. So we we didn't know what we could use. And then it was, as soon as 
you know, as soon as they came alive for the first elbow, Jack was like, oh, you know what? I'm in here. And it, it just felt like it was magic because, you know, I'd get back up. I, he'd get back up. I'd get back up. I took the big bump and stayed in the center because I knew the big elbow had to come. And right from there, he told Paul, he's like, put me in a program with this kid, you know. And, uh, yeah, it just, it was glorious. And Paul asked, he goes, how do you see this ending? And I, I go, uh, you know what? Bull rope match. And he goes, let's do it. And I'm like, wait, what? Bless you. Yeah, and we end, we end up doing the bull rope match. And one of the, it is the greatest thing. You know, people always talk about, like, winning the ECW title. Was that Paul's greatest honor for you? And stuff, which, and it was. It was great honor. But the greatest thing he ever said to me is he pulled me aside as soon as I got through the locker room after the bull rope match. And he grabs me. He goes, Steve Green, oh, that was better than anything that him and Tully ever did. You know, <laughs> Paul had no idea that, you know, my – my three favorite wrestlers when I was growing up was Wildfire Tommy Rich, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, and Tully Blanchard. And that's <laughs> what I saw in the feud is that I was the Tully Blanchard, Eddie Gilbert, in the, you know, type of heel. And, and when he said that, like, I was like, thanks, Paul. You know, like, I, like I was misty-eyed. I was, I was so excited. <laughs> that's a great, definitely memorable feud. Now, you mentioned the ECW title. What, like, how was that presented to you, and were you shocked that you were going to win the title? And, like, how did you feel that you were actually going to be the ECW World Heavyweight Champion? Well, you know, it all happened at, like, 3.30 that afternoon. There was there was, there was was no talk. I, I was told, like, the week before what the finish was going to be. It was, you know, like, because we were doing the thing where I um, I couldn't beat Justin Credible. Like, I was I was on this amazing run. I pinched Jerry. I pinned Jerry Lynn. Um I'm on this amazing run, but there was just something about Justin Credible that I couldn't beat. It almost, you know, the way it was supposed to be was it was almost paralleling with how Dreamer couldn't beat uh, Raven, and that's the way Paul saw it. And so the the idea was take the title off Cherry, but it ends up being me and and, and Justin in the uh, in the in that final part of the match, and then you know Justin gets the win again, and it's like oh man, you know. You just can't beat Just Incredible. And 3.30 that afternoon, Sandman comes in the locker room and goes, all right, kid, tonight's your night. I go, yeah, man, I'm really looking forward to it. He goes, I, I go, you know, it was good business, right? And he's like, yeah. And then, then he goes like this. He goes, wait a second. You know you're winning, right? I go, wait, what? No way. And, uh, yeah, that quick, like, my first thought was, oh, poor Jerry Lynn. Like, this guy worked. 14 years and just got the belt the, the month before. I'm like, now we're taking it off and putting it on me. Oh, no. And he comes in the locker room and, like, as I'm getting up to say I'm sorry, he comes up and gives me, like, the biggest hug and he's like, you are so hard for this and, you know, I'm proud of you and I'm like, wow, like, Jerry Lynn, you're, you're the man, you know? And, um, you know, those guys went, I, I knew Justin was a little upset that, you know, because he had been told that he was going to get it back and but this was also at a time when, you know, the, the, the problems with the, the money and the network and everything like that, and, you know, there was a lot of frustration with with, with a lot of the top guys. And I, I guess when Paul pulled the plug and, and put the belt on me, it was more of a, you know, it was a safety net because, you know, even though I was under contract, I hadn't I hadn't put in a, um, a breach contract claim. And, and I think he thought, you know what, like, if I can work this out, it's cool. I can always take the belt off Steve and put it back on Justin. Or if it doesn't work out, I know this guy's here for a little bit. So, you know, I hate to say it, but I, I could have been more of a champion of convenience than anything. 
But it's still great, though. I mean, that you you get to say, you know, former ECW world champion. It is great. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was it, it was cool. You know, my uh, uh, my my son was four at the time. I you know I I, I got word to uh, um, I got word to his mother's family at the, uh, to you know get the pay per view and stuff like that. So we got to watch it, and it it reminded me so much of you know watching uh, Owen Steen's reaction to his dad being on Raw Monday of just like that pure joy. And uh yeah, it it just brought back so many good memories. Yeah, definitely cool stuff. Now one thing I, I had to bring up to you because I'm just very curious about it, because you don't really hear too much about it. People often overlook it, but you being the basically the American booker, if you want to say, for zero one in Japan, what was it like working with the Shinya Hashimoto? Ah, uh, he was the best. He, he was he was my buddy. I mean, there was a there was a guy that was such a huge star in Japan, but he was like a little kid at heart. He, any like, and all he wanted to do was be an American heel. He would uh, he would tell me these things to do in the matches, and I knew it was only to make him laugh. Or, you know, because he didn't get to do it, so he wanted to. You know, he wanted somebody to do it for him. And but working in the office with him, like he had he had such trust in my ideas and stuff that, you know, he always went with them. And, you know, we we could argue, we could do anything, but at the end of the day, we were like buddies. And it was, you know, once again, it was surreal for me because, you know, years before I was trading, you know, New Japan VHS tapes with, you know, other fans watching his matches. So it, it was cool. And, you know, it's been 10 years since he passed now, so. You know, but being in that office and, uh, you know, I would look around every once in a while at my desk and think, man, I work in a Japanese pro wrestling office. Like, how freaking cool is this? But it, it was fun because it gave me the chance to, you know, learn different aspects of the, the wrestling business, whether it be, you know, booking flights or babysitting or learning a new culture and making sure like a new you know, what worked in one town and what didn't work in another, much like the States. You know, Japanese wrestling's the same way. Did you enjoy working in front of the Japanese crowd? Because obviously it's a much, much different crowd. Oh, I loved it. I loved every little bit of it because, you know, the, the myth is that they're quiet, but they're, they're, they're really not. It's They react at different times as opposed to, you know, North American fans. And But they were always good. And it also it depended where you went, whether if, if you were Cork and Hall and in Tokyo or you, you were at Osaka Gym 2 in, in, in Osaka or any of the big cities, they were going to react like American fans do. Um, the, the smaller country towns, they were going to wait for something big to happen or um, a stay recognized from their TV star. So once you learn that and learned how to work them, it, it, it's simple. It was, it, was, it was amazing. Now, if I could just fast forward a bit and just uh, jump to now... Now, you were talking about your son back, you know, when he was a young boy, but now he's actually in Ring of Honor, Colby Carino, and he's, and he's actually wrestling, and he's actually a part of the decade. What is that like? Um, it, it's it's strange. It's, you know, because you love my son, and he is 18, and, um, you know, I, I forget that, you know, I'm the the <laughs> the wrestler, and, you know, I, I want to be his dad, and I'm telling him, you know, slow down, do this, do that, you know, don't do the and, you know, it, it's stuff that he doesn't want to hear. So, like, now I've learned that, like, well, let me take it to another wrestler and so that they'll tell him. And then, you know, maybe he'll listen to them. Because he, he's in that phase where 
you know, he wants to do so much because he wants to prove himself. And his style is so different than mine. Um, you know, he's high flyer. He's, he was a great amateur wrestler. Um, so it, it's so different for him, you know, uh, when, but he still thinks that people think like, oh, okay, you know, he's Steve Carino's kid. So he's got to talk on the microphone and stall in the ring where he can go, go, go. So, you know, sometimes it's like you're going to need to slow down so that people see like who you are. And, you know, he's 18 and, you know, for four years of high school, he had to cut weight, you know, now he's doing his best to gain weight and, you know, he's getting bigger every time, but he's a, he's a heck of a talent. He's a student of the game. He, he loves it. He, you know, every time I call him, what are you doing? I'm watching wrestling. I'm watching Billy Robinson versus Dick Bob Paul, you know, like, you know, it's, it's fun to watch, but, you know, as, as a dad, it, it's hard to watch him in there taking those bumps because you, you know how they feel. You know, like, you know, you, you worry about the concussions. You worry about all, the, all the, the the bad things that can happen. You just, you know, you hope for the best because he's, he's literally living his dream. Yeah, which is really cool and almost kind of surreal because obviously it means if he's 18, it means we're all getting a little bit older, you know, that he's oh, in the ring. And, uh... <laughs> now, Obviously, they're kind of leading towards, or I hope they're leading towards a feud between, I mean, there is a feud there, but hopefully they're leading towards a match between you and B.J. Whitmer. Are you thinking about stepping back in the ring or no? I, you know what? Like, I enjoy what I do now, and I, I have no plans getting in the ring. Uh, there, now, a lot of stuff that B.J. does, B.J. does on his own. And, you know, we go with the reaction. We, we do what we have to do. But you know, a lot of people don't realize that the – the the catalyst for this feud was to showcase Colby. You know, it was it was a way of introducing Colby to where, you know, he could make his own name. And I really didn't have to get involved, even though I'm involved indirectly. But I, you know, wrestling on the Indies a couple a couple times a month is fine for me because you know I like it. I you know I get the, everything. But you know, at this point in my life, I want to be a broadcaster. I, I you know it's. It's the direction that I wanted to do, whether it be wrestling or baseball or, you know, anything. I wanted to transition before I became too old. You know, how many how many guys do we see on the independents that, you know, just you look at them and you're like, man, don't you couldn't do anything else, in, you know, in life. You, you, you don't want to watch them. You, you feel empathy for them as, as opposed to um, a guy you want to see every once in a while. You know, who knows, maybe... I don't know, maybe once a year I could wrestle and a six-man in Ring of Honor, and it's, it's cool, but I, I really enjoy sitting there with Kevin Kelly and analyzing the show and having fun and being able to, uh, you know, talk to the young wrestlers. And and right now, like, I, I feel like I'm some of the best shape of my life, you know, because I'm not taking those bumps every weekend. And, you know, I'm saving my body and, uh, you know, and I'm using my mind in something else. So, I don't think it'll be a match. I don't want it to be a match. I think BJ can do something on his own, but um, it, it was it was really good for a way to introduce Colby to Ring of Honor fans. Yeah, that was kind of cool. And obviously, he turns, and uh, you know, he's with Whitmer now, and uh, he's in the decade, and you know, kind of seems like they're building towards something. I think it would be really cool. Maybe you and BJ Whitmer have. Uh, like an old school street fight on a pay per view or something. I think that would be something that fans would love. And me personally, being an old school fan, uh, I, I would love it as well. Well, I I, I appreciate it, <laughs> but don't hold your breath. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you'll no. see me talking about it, but maybe you know, uh, 
maybe Homicide can come in and fight my battle for once. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Now, as we uh, as we wind down here, uh, I'm just curious. I mean, we talked about a couple of your favorite matches, but is there a match you would pinpoint as your favorite match you've ever had? Obviously, you've had a million good ones. Oh, I do know there's a couple. I had um, an amazing one once at Regal Casino Hall with Extreme Hashimoto, and then followed it up with, with the sellout at Corky Hall like a week later. And, um, I mean, it's, I just felt like I was at the top of my game. And, you know, Hashimoto being Hashimoto, like, you know, let me kick out of the DDT twice, and people couldn't believe it. And, you know, you know, people started cheering for me. Um through the homicide, the the first the stiffer friends bitter enemies, um, that that one always, you know, has a, um, you know that that special place of like, oh, that was that was really good. I'm trying to think what else. I had one on a house show once with, it was me and uh, Satoshi Kojima against Masato Tanaka and Jiro Otani that I thought was just awesome. It was just awesome, but never saw a video of it, so I can't really confirm that it was awesome, but it, I mean, it was awesome at the time. Anything I did with Masato Tanaka was great. Um, anything with Kevin Steen, I mean, we we had a couple good matches the, the couple times that we ended up wrestling, and it was, it was always fun and, and good, and the people were always into it, so I mean, I, I think I have you know, I'm not one of those guys that's now in my 40s that hates wrestling and I hate those guys, but you know, um, I, I try to find like a, a fondness out of everything. You know, there, there's times when I have matches on the indies against guys that you've never heard of before that I, I come back and I'm like, man, I was really proud of that. That really, that really was good, you know. And um, and no one will ever get to see it, unfortunately. But you know, those those are the cool things about wrestling, especially wrestling in little towns like I do and traveling that you, know, you get to wrestle so many different types of talent that. You know, you're like, man, that guy's good. Why isn't he making it somewhere else? Oh, that guy's really good. Why isn't he making it somewhere else? And you just realize, like, there's so many good guys out there, just not enough slots. <laughs> True. I mean, obviously you've had an awesome career, and you're, you know, you're one of the best in my view, and and we love you in the show. Just curious, you have a favorite opponent? I know, I mean, we talk about homicide, we talk about Hashimoto. But is there one guy that sticks out to you? Is like, oh, we always had the best chemistry, or maybe somebody wouldn't even know that you guys just clicked. I, I, I would definitely say Masato Tanaka. Just something from day one. Like, um, and you know, it might be because we were both uh, recovering hardcore guys. You know, we we both were coming from hardcore promotions, and you know, we were all we we're trying to make like a different name for ourselves once we started with Zero One, and you know, we were not that we work harder, but we you know. We were trying to create, you know, a new identity for ourselves. And, you know, it, we just had that great chemistry. And uh, I loved it. I just I absolutely loved it. And, you know, even now, um, you know, we, we haven't wrestled each other in three years. But the last time we wrestled each other, it literally just quick, like, oh, okay, I, I know what you do. You know what I do. And, okay, let's go do it. And the other Americans on the tour were like, whoa, whoa, how do you do that? I'd be like, it's my buddy. I, you know, I wrestled him 150 times. He's one of those guys I really feel, especially going back and watching his matches with Mike Awesome and stuff, I really feel like he's underrated. I mean, definitely, possibly, like maybe like you give it like top ten most underrated wrestlers I've ever seen. Oh, absolutely. I, I would, and I would also put C.W. Anderson on that list of, of guys that are, you know, so good that just you never, you know, whether it's just be, you know, Tanaka's a big star in, in Japan, but whether it be, you know, 
you know, the acceptance of American fans or just because of, you know, circumstances that will always be underrated because they still go out there and, you know, do the job, do, do the job that they, they need to do. So, CW is 44 years old, and I believe he's having some of the best matches that he's ever had. And But he was a guy that suffered from ECW going down when it did because he was the next guy. He was the, he was the next guy that Paul was going to push, and um, I, I truly believe he was going to get the – the television title, and you know, you, you would you would have saw like a big star out of CW, and just timing was was just not on his side. Yeah, definitely. Is there a match in your career that, let's just say, it didn't happen? Like almost like, is there an opponent where there's a dream match, quote unquote, that you never were able to get? I, of course, I mean Flair. Flair. You know, Flair would have been the one that I, you know. I would have wanted to, but you know, I got to wrestle Hashimoto. I got to wrestle Muda. I got to wrestle Masawa. I got, you know, wrestle Otani. I, you know, I, all these guys, Barry Windham. I, I got to wrestle you know, Dusty, of course, and you know, I, I tell Al Perez. I mean, I, I look at sometimes I read these these wrestling books from from the old timers, and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I got to wrestle that guy, or I got to wrestle this guy, and. um you know, I look at that as there, but like the the one guy that I never got to wrestle, and you know, it's just never in the same company at the same time, and circumstances are how they are. I think that me and Flair would have had some fun, you know, some fun times. Whether it be, you know, we could have been together, we could have been on opposite sides. You know, I, I definitely think that my style would have really, really gelled with his. And yeah, then, I totally agree. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, and if you were going to, I guess, there's two ways we ask this question. I kind of think it, it, it kind of stands for both of you, but what would you say your overall legacy would be on the business? And with the Carino name now, you know, starting to ascend through your son, uh, it's kind of we do a legacy and, like, where do you see yourself in five years, but where do you see the, the legacy of the Carino name over the next five years. Oh, I mean that would that would be up to fans. I, if if I had to pick my own legacy, I, I would I would say like, you know, I wanted to be known as the guy that you know loved what I did and, and appreciated every every moment that uh, that I had because you know I was the ultimate overachiever. You know, I, I I was a guy that my main goal was to have one match, and I, I was a skinny kid that lived in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and here I was you know, wrestling, you know, in, in Ryugoku Sumo Hall and, and you know, Corkin Hall and ECW Arena and Madison Square Garden. And, you know, I did all these crazy things. And, uh, you know, I still love it. I still love it. I don't have that bitter attitude that guys have towards wrestling or anything like that because, you know what, I never got to wrestle or I never got to work with WrestleMania. But, you know, that doesn't make me a failure. That makes, you know... We all take a different path to everything like that, and you can't dwell on what you didn't do. You gotta like appreciate what you did. So, I, I would hope my legacy was, man, this is a guy that really loved what he was doing, and a guy that gave back, a guy that wasn't afraid to, you know, help the next guy get to the next level, or you know, or give advice where, you know, it, it was needed, and you know, was a, was a positive force in the locker room as opposed to. The guy that's just grumpy in the in the in the corner counting his gimmick money. I hope that's what it is. But I, I could. <laughs> people. Well, before we uh, before we let you go, please uh, share with us any place where we can find 
the great Steve Carino. And I'm glad we made it, you know, all this time without uh, any animosity between a, a Mets fan here and a Phillies fan there. So uh, we made, maybe yeah, we made I mean, it all time. It, you know, it, it's just what, living in North Carolina has really, I, I think, mellowed me out for Mets fans, Braves fans, especially Braves fans, because <laughs> they're, they're some of the nicest fans ever, and I, I want to hate them. Um, <laughs> uh, so, it, you know, it, it, it's tough. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I you can find me on Twitter at King Carino. Uh, my website is worldofcarino.com. Uh, I try to update it as, as much as I can. And then, uh, but yeah, yeah Twitter's, Twitter's the best way to get me because, you know, I can always update it from my phone and, you know, I enjoy, you know, fans writing stuff. And, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, don't go towards the negative. You get a negative tweet and stuff like that, just block the person. You, know, you don't have to get into a, a, a war with them. And, um, you know, and then, I, you know, I, I like to spend my energy talking to the, the, the good fans that, you know, appreciate what you're doing and stuff like that. Because uh, trust me, I know, you know, wrestling and life is subjective and you're not going to like certain people. But if everybody had, like, more of a positive attitude, I think social media would be a lot more fun place to be. Yeah, well said. Very well said. Well, thanks so much, Steve. We really, uh, really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Thank you.